Welcome back to another episode of Cinema Wheeler Tay. It's uh, Sean, Tony, and Scott, as usual. Hello. Hey. 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 They were the fonts. Yeah. Which has nothing to do with our topic today, but it's still a very. Far from our topic. Yeah, it is, and it, but definitely, it's almost the antithesis of our topic. Yeah, um, and our topic today. That's a good SAT word. Yeah, it is. I'm, I'm great with SAT words, <laughs> even though I didn't do as well on the SAT that I can recall. Um, I didn't take it, so. Oh, you didn't take the SAT. I took the ACT. I think oh. I took the ACT too. In I don't Ohio. You have to take the SAT. I, I concur. Yeah, I, I take the yeah. I believe I did not take the SAT. That's for all our listeners looking out there. If you judge us based on that, that's, that's <laughs> your problem. If that ruins our credibility, so be it. Yes. Um, but anyway, today we're talking about a man who I, I assume took the SATs back in <laughs> probably, probably the 60s or 70s. Uh, the man's name is Tim Burton, and he's a subject that we've talked about previously on the podcast. We've covered several of his films. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's it's a director that all of us in, at least admire, if not full out love, consistently. Yeah, uh, yeah. with his yeah his movies, definitely. So yeah, <laughs> and you love him personally, right? <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know him personally, <laughs> right? Um, so I like to go around and just ask everybody because today we're going to give our top five Tim Burton films, each individual list, mm-hmm. as we've done with other people in the past. But I wanted to start with uh, Tony. What was what was the first time you came across Tim Burton or a Tim Burton movie, and what kind of impression did he make on you? Yeah, well, when I think back to when I was a kid, the real, the first thing that I really remember about Tim Burton, and I probably didn't really know that it was him, but I remember Edward Scissorhands, because mm-hmm. it came out in 1990, and so I was about five, and um, I even then, I really liked Winona Ryder, and my sister was a huge Johnny Depp fan. Mm-hmm. So that it made sense for us to see that movie, and I just remember being in awe. It just was so magical, and but yet you know, well, we did talk about Edward Scissorhands before, and yeah, you know, as a five-year-old child, I just kind of identified with that world that Tim Burton tends to create—that magic and that wonder—and um, it just was something that never. It was just an impression, and of course, you know, with Edward Scissorhands having the scissor hands. You know, I was deathly afraid of Freddy Krueger, so I wondered, mm-hmm. you know, are they related? Like, what's going on? I was seeing all these movies at the time with people with sharp hands, you know, knives for hands, and it was kind of weird, but I liked it. And <laughs> <laughs> Johnny Depp didn't kill people like Freddy Krueger did, so... Well, yeah. Freddy Krueger killed Johnny Depp. Yeah, That's the irony that there. <laughs> very good point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it goes full circle. It does. Freddy nice. Krueger is just a massive part of my life, and, and here we know, now we know why. But yeah, Edward Scissorhands, I think, was my first exposure with Tim Burton, and I think when you're a child at that age, it's, that's a good one to start with. Uh, for me, um, we'll talk with Scott as well in, soon, but with me, because <laughs> I, cut, I cut in line, because I was in... in no, uh, you're perfectly fine. Um, for me, the first three films Tim Burton directed had a huge impact on me, one way or the other, because um, I... I happened to see Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and I think it was the Methodist Church. It was at some sort of like outing where we were staying overnight or staying really? late. Yeah, and they played Pee Wee's Big Adventure, which is, in a way, it's appropriate because I guess technically it's a kids' movie or it's a family film. You could label that, yeah. but it is one of the most subversive, weirdest family movies. I love Pee Wee Herman. I got really into him. 
when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. The Peavy's Playhouse. I loved the movie when I first saw it, yeah. too. And that was, like, the first time I really paid attention to Pee-wee. I knew who he was, obviously, at mm-hmm. that point. But the the moment when Mar- Large Marge comes on screen... Say, everybody, Sean has a major crush on Large Marge. I know, I love him, no. <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. Like, I don't know why, but that thing disturbed me. And When she had, like, the cartoon face? Yes, yeah. yeah when she just, and, and then you look just like this, and then the bug eyes come out. And it's, it's a classic. Very, like a prelude to Beetlejuice. It is. Sure. Um, and then that comes out. And I went to see it with my friend, and I was excited because the previews made it look hilarious. And it, and it was really funny. But again, there's a moment in that movie that scared the shit out of me as a kid. I was also a timid kid, too, to be fair. Mm-hmm. But the moment when Gina Davis rips her face off oh, yeah. in the closet just took me off guard. So there were two movies that made a huge impact on me already. And then we get to, of course, Batman in 1989, and that's a different thing. I wasn't, I was just enthralled by Batman, you know, because that movie had a huge impact. It was the first time I'd seen Jack Nicholson on screen, and I became a huge Batman fan. And Tim Burton directed that film that came out 30 years ago. So those first three movies that Burton directed all had, yeah, that's, that's hard to believe. Uh, Scott, did, did, did he make the same impact on you at that point? Because I'm sure you saw. I, I think, yeah, I think it was Batman was the first that I realized who Tim Burton was and associated him. I think Beetlejuice a little bit. I remember Beetlejuice coming out. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing Pee Wee's Big Adventure, but I didn't make the until. Well, I was fully aware that Tim Burton was the person directing the movie. It was probably a Batman, and by at that time, I was became aware of directors and stuff like that. So it's ten. Um, nine or ten years old, so yeah. I mean, his, his he is the first director that I remember that it was unique. Like he, he had a certain style, mm-hmm. and he still does. Oh yeah. Um, I mean, he, all his movies had that Tim Burton style, which is he's a big commercial director now. You know, he he does a lot of franchises and stuff. But back then, he was like an original an director. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he would do big movies, mm-hmm. but they would be. Tim Burton, from the mind of Tim Burton, you know. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, he was kind of, kind of doing. Yeah, he was the unique director that everybody kind of went, but he, he his movies did really well, and they, um, obviously, um, had a big impact on you know. Didn't really. No one really has tried to copy him, and so to speak. I don't. I don't think there's like there's. People have tried to copy Quentin Tarantino and other directors, but Tim Burton, people haven't really attempted to. He's so unique and distinctive, I think, that you really can't. And and the style of his films, the aesthetic, it's. I think it would be incredibly hard to mimic that mm-hmm. without it being identical, you know? And then I also think about, you know, Danny Elfman's music is just synonymous with Tim Burton, and so yeah, it, and it's such a distinctive sound. I mean, even though... The scores are different in Batman and, and something like Pee Wee. You can instantly recognize that it's the same composer. He still yeah. does his movies to this day. It's almost uh-huh. a, it is outside of John Williams and Steven Spielberg. It is it's like well, the, David Lynch and Angela Baldamenti. Yeah, but but if you're talking volume of movies, and the Coen Brothers and Carter Burwell. Yeah, Carter Burwell. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you yeah. had a great point, but I mean. Danny Elfman is becoming a celebrity because of his association with Tim Burton Absolutely. in a way, just like John Williams became a celebrity based on not just his association with Spielberg, which is clearly obvious, he did but big Lucas. movies of other people. Yeah, I mean, yeah. His it, biggest movie is not with Steven Spielberg. No, it's, yeah, it's with George so, Lucas. Yeah. yeah. 
who Lucas and Spielberg are almost twins in a way, in some ways, with the blockbuster movement and stuff, you know, that they're like the twin towers. Well, Danny Elfman was the first outside of John Williams, because everybody is just, John Williams is just on another level as far as people knowing his music. Um, but Danny Elfman was like the first where like, I felt like I was special because I knew Danny Elfman scored mm-hmm. movies. I don't know why I thought it was because I thought I had like inside. I would quiz kids like, you well, know who did a Simpsons score? <laughs> Danny Elfman. <laughs> well, you know what's interesting with Danny Elfman is um, and John Williams, when I think about the two of them, John Williams is sort of like the classic composer. Mm-hmm. You know, he does these epics. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. They're just epic. And the thing I really, and John Williams is fantastic. And I'm not saying that I prefer Elfman over Williams and what I'm about to say, but. The thing I really like about Danny Elfman that makes me gravitate towards him is his music is so personal to the to the project, and it has personality, but mm-hmm. it's also incredibly distinctive to to the composer, and I really like that. You know, it's like his fingerprint. It's mm-hmm. on every very... one of his scores. You instantly know it's Danny Elfman, even though even though the score for Edward Scissorhands is very different than Batman. Mm-hmm. You you still know it's that same composer, but but each one fits that body of work. Perfectly. Yeah, he can do. Yeah, we could spend a long time yeah, talking about Danny Elfman. But, but well, you can't talk about Danny Elfman. You can't talk. I mean, there. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to see a Tim Burton movie, you're going to hear mm-hmm. Danny Elfman's score, and you know his. He had that CD. What was it like? Music from a darkened theater, or whatever. It was like a greatest hits Danny Elfman that Sean had, and I used to listen oh, to it wow, all the time. Cool. And have like all you know Beetlejuice yeah. and. and and, uh, I can't remember the Beetlejuice theme. Batman. And, it, it's very distinct. Oh, and, yeah. uh, it, it, and obviously they incorporate like some of uh, Harry Belafonte's music in there, uh, referencing. They reference oh, now it, I hear it in my head. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's very quirky and, and good. It's like, you know, that. Well, Elfman's style is very rhythmic. It's piano based. Like, it's like a circus. It's almost like a kind of a bizarro, grotesque circus going on. And that's always a perfect. And he can, he can do the sweeping, too, which is... He can do that big orchestral, classical... Mm-hmm. Like, Edward Scissorhands has more of a... Yeah. Edward Scissorhands has more of a classical... Yeah, Edward Scissorhands is very Baroque style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, he's, like, quirky with Beetlejuice and Pee-wee. He's very quirky, just to fit, like you said, matching the characters. Yeah. He'd be a huge hit at a, at a German cabaret, Danny Elfman. Yeah. Like, you know, he would fit perfectly in there. Um... One of the things like that, that Burton mentioned about Elfman, and because we love music, so we're going to emphasize a lot of Elfman as well as Tim Burton, I'm sure, through the podcast, but I think he captures the tone that Burton goes for in his movies better than any other element, even the visuals, because I think without that tone, like it would be hard to imagine Pee-wee's Big Adventure or Beetlejuice without the music. Like The visuals are distinct, yeah. and they're going to stand out, but to get that type, that the composer that just is so... Like uh, in sync with your own, Absolutely. you know, That's tonal. Yeah, it just fits the project. Aesthetics. It's, it's, yeah, it's just distinct. It's perfect. And, um, uh, you know, I mean, you think about the score for Edward Scissorhands, the main score, and it's like you can see Winona Ryder dancing in the snow. It just sounds mm-hmm. like so angelic. It does. And and, uh, and he always had like he'd always have like big title sequences mm-hmm. that were animated yeah. in some. He would animate them and whatever fit the. And then Danny Elfman played music over it, so he, the first thing he saw of a movie was Danny Elfman's score over some sort of title sequence. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And he does them in almost every... Mm-hmm. They don't do title sequences as much anymore. They do them at the end of the movies. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right about that. They go right into the movies now. Um, 
that's why you see at the end of the movies they'll just do like a title. It looks like a title sequence. They put it at the end. They have to do it because they have to do the titles twice, mm-hmm. the credits twice. But uh, yeah, at the beginning of the movie, like Beetlejuice, they're going over the city. The, the, it's the fake town, mm-hmm. and then uh, Batman is going through the symbol. I don't know. It was Edward Scissorhands. Uh, Edward the, Scissorhands. I think it's like I think he's cutting a paper snowflake. Yeah, they they kind of show impressions. Okay. Yeah. yeah, and I think in later like Charlie and Chocolate Factory has a cool one, and uh, some of his Pee-wee's later Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Pee Wee's Big Adventure has one. I mean, the one is the breakfast machine. The breakfast yeah. machine is the famous yeah, one, where yeah. and, that, and that's exactly what you're saying, where it's really in sync with what you're seeing. Yeah, yeah. This, uh-huh. this song, yeah. and uh, and that's the first. I think that was. I mean, that's the first. Pee Wee's is the first like film. Real one, real big film. For Tim Burton. So. Well, it was his first movie, period. Like, that's how he got that movie. It's just, it's his debut. Yeah. That's, <laughs> what, a, what a way to debut. I mean, I your mean, first movie. Yeah. Kind of better character, you know, than Kiwi. Yeah. Right. Such a strong property on its own. Yes. Uh, he, he, what happened with Burton and how he started out and how he got to that point with Pee Wee is he started out as an animator mm-hmm. at Cal Arts. That's, that's his aesthetic. That doesn't shock anybody who has followed his career. And he ended up being hired by Disney during the doldrums of Disney. This is like the early 1980s. John Lasseter was working during that time. Uh-huh. I won't go into the, yeah. the, the... He's a problematic individual, but objectively, Lasseter is a really huge animator himself with the Toy Story movies and Pixar and, yeah. and everything else. So that's a really talented group of people. And uh, the thing about Disney at that point, that they were on such a low point. This was like right before the Renaissance. Right, right yeah. before the, the Disney the Renaissance. Yeah. That they were giving him some creative freedom to try different things, and he was able to put together a short called Vincent, mm-hmm. which was six minutes long, and I'll post it on our Facebook page. But the character, it's it's stop motion animation similar to the Nightmare Before Christmas, except it's in black and white. Mm-hmm. And he was able to to have Vincent Price come in and narrate it because the the main character Vincent worships Vincent Price. Okay. And he has this internal which is dream. Burton. Yes, it's yeah. Tim Burton worshipped him. Uh, and, and Vincent Price said he was more excited. This is one of two instances during that period, because I think the short came out like 82, 83, when Vincent Price was entering into another art form because he was used on Michael Jackson's Thriller, yeah. another problematic individual, but yeah. again, <laughs> there are going to be a lot of them in this podcast. <laughs> um, and he loved doing Thriller, but he really got excited about Vincent because that's up his alley. It, it, was, it was gothic, yeah. kind of an absurdist bent and different... And Disney released it, as, released it as a short because at that point they were probably taking more risks. You know, he was also working on the Fox and the Hound. Can you imagine Tim Burton animating a traditional Disney movie? Oh my God. He, he it wasn't really completely in sync. But when Paul Rubens was looking for a director for the first Pee Wee film because Pee Wee was starting to take off with mm-hmm. talk show appearances and on HBO specials, yeah, uh, they saw Vincent. And Tim Paul Rubens said immediately, that's the guy we want hired on here. Now, Burton almost directed a movie called After Hours, which was a Martin Scorsese film, which he ultimately directed, with a guy, with an actor named Griffin Dunn, who was in American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. But he bowed out of it because Scorsese came in. But so Pee Wee became his first picture. And in a lot of ways, I think that defined his career in a fact where he's bringing these weird, gothic, you know, idiosyncratic tendencies yeah. into the mainstream through family movies where he could have gone in maybe a much darker route maybe, but 
listening to interviews, I think he likes making the kind of movies he makes. Because oh, he says he, he, he himself, I remember an interview recently where he said, I couldn't direct a straight horror film because I find things too sentimental and, and funny mm-hmm. to, to, to keep it in yeah. sync as like, like doing something like Halloween or, or a movie like that. Like I have to add some humor and some humanity into it in order for yeah. it to click. Um, Tony, you'll, you'll appreciate this. Uh, Stephen Woosley, who's been a regular on the podcast and a good friend, mm-hmm. posted this article from The Ringer by, a, um, by Adam Naiman, who wrote recently after Dumbo had failed at the box office, talking about the current oh, state of yeah. Tim Burton's career. But he does go into um, a discussion about Burton, uh, where he says, no less than David Lynch or Steven Spielberg... Burton belongs in the category of auteur as objectival self-descriptor. But what, what's really interesting for you, Tony, is he says David Lynch or Steven Spielberg, whose styles and temperaments he hybridizes. So he says he's like a hybrid of Spielberg yeah. and Lynch. You know, Lynch was an artist, too, I believe, when he started he is, out. Yeah. But Burton went in a more mainstream direction, but not trying to be mainstream, but he ended up in the mainstream where Lynch did kind of, too, in a way, with well, Twin Peaks. Yeah, so. Twin Peaks was, was the kind of the Trojan horse. David yes. But, um, yeah, you know, I think the thing with Tim Burton that probably sets him a little bit apart from David Lynch is that his, Dave, uh, Tim Burton is, is kind of like the adult child. He has a child's heart and a child's imagination, and that comes through in his animation and in his films, like something, you know, even like Beetlejuice. There's, there are so many childlike qualities about it um, that I think his films appeal to kids, adults, teenagers, it's a wider audience. Where David Lynch is, is very is a little bit more narrow. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. a certain kind of person that can appreciate David Lynch. Yes. And what he's offering. Uh, yeah. A ten year old kid is not going to understand Blue Velvet. No. Um, or certain episodes. Or certain <laughs> <episodes> Peaks. <laughs> there are a lot of adults that wouldn't understand yeah, either of those too. But but a ten year old would get Edward Scissorhands. Oh yeah. Yeah. The story of the outsider. Mm-hmm. You know, just trying to fit in. I mean that's that's. So universal. I feel like in the 80s, like a lot of filmmaking in the 80s, and I love it because I grew up in that era, was very mainstream. The looks were really traditional. But there were idiosyncratic filmmakers. Some of them went into a more independent route. You have the Coen brothers emerged in the 80s. You had David Lynch, obviously, really started to come into his own in the 80s. Um, John Waters had been around, but he's kind of in that same ballpark. Tim Burton's the one that kind of broke into the mainstream and and stayed well, there. Hairspray was kind of like John Waters always says it was his Trojan horse. Yes, into the mainstream. It was like, but Tim Burton's career in the but beginning was stayed. a Trojan horse. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And, and I, John that, Waters is still very. I'll say this, and and Tim Burton is be, is very mainstream now. He does a lot of that oh, big yeah. budget, like like that Alice in Wonderland he did right. about ten years ago. And I think. Years. His best movies are the ones that come from his mind. Yeah, if you look, they're they're his unique original movies. Yeah, the ones that he's just doing that are remakes or because he's done a quite a few remakes. Yeah, Um, and I think I always find them interesting. I I always do, Um, and I think they they're more interesting than some other directors have done them. But I think you could tell that he doesn't have as much heart and he's not as into it as he is his own stuff. Like Nightmare Before Christmas. Or... And it's funny, he didn't even direct Nightmare Before Christmas. But that's like his most 
That's his. That's the most quintessential Tim Burton movie, right? He he produced it, and yeah, he just couldn't. He just couldn't direct the the stop motion. Was probably why he didn't direct it at the time. I'm gonna say something sacrilegious now too. Is I've never connected to Tim Burton's stop motion films, with the exception of Vincent, like I do with his live action movies, because I think the humor of his live action films, his best films, are missing from those movies. It just seems like the characters are kind of there and they're moving around, but there's no. The sharpness of Pee Wee and Beetlejuice yeah. are not present That's in those everything. movies. A satire, yeah. um, and I, Batman. I think Wes Anderson does a better job of that with his stop motion animated pictures than Tim Burton of keeping that, yeah. the humorous aesthetic intact. Yeah, you, and, they stay Wes Anderson. There's another director. That's probably the if you're going to say like, I don't know if Wes Anderson has ever been, um, was ever a Tim Burton fan or something, but they do have. You know, their unique style. Well, very defined aesthetics. Yeah, the right. color schemes that they use. The but the, yeah. Regardless of whether it's in fashion or not, they stick to who they are. And that's, mm-hmm. the, the to me, that's the thing I admire. Although with Burton, I feel, as Scott mentioned earlier, that his best work was during a decade from, like, like let's say 1985 to 94 or right, so. Right. And then after that, it got redundant. It, there are some bright spots along well, the way. After that, but, it got very commercialized is a great way to say it. He went from being that that quirky, oddball, independent director to you know to being you know prom king. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't think his heart's into it as much either. Like you could tell, he's kind of like I'm doing a. It's a brand. He's branding. Yeah. He's putting the Tim Burton brand on certain movies, but not really committing to it. Mm-hmm. I feel like from a creative standpoint or an artistic standpoint. And I, I like Dumbo a lot, actually. You but guys saw it. Yeah, yeah, I saw it. I, I enjoyed it. I mean, I like forgot it. about it. <laughs> That's the thing. I, it's like, it's, no, but I, I enjoyed it. I was like, I was like, oh, yeah. Hey, Wasn't gonna re- that on your coming-of-age movies? Yeah. The, no, no, no. That's, That's Pinocchio. Pinocchio. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't done Pinocchio. That seems more like yeah, they have. Uh, yeah, that's, that's the one movie. Yeah, Dumbo was a weird fit. I think they could have got. Although I loved some of the actors he got into. Michael Dumbo. Keaton was awesome in Dumbo and Danny DeVito, mm-hmm. and, and uh, there were some cool scenes in it. The music was great. Danny Elfman had a great score. Um, they incorporated a lot of the songs in there. The acting was good. The songs from Dumbo. The steampunk Disneyland was great. That I was the steampunk. They had like the like a uh, Michael Keaton like ran this like really like semi like. Kind of steampunk, like basically in 1930s, but like their version of the future kind of thing. It was kind of fun. But. I There is one bright spot. I'm going to get to that on my list, actually. To other people, there might be another bright spot. Um, but they Both of these films start with the same word, and they you might bet. be his two best films since 94. Do you want to get into our top five? I think it's time what we do. That's a little transition, so... I'll start with mine, because uh, I'm an egomaniac. I figure, why not <laughs> well, steamroll over everyone else? Steampunk, we get steamroll. Tony. Right. Save it, the best for last. That's yeah, right, yeah. exactly. So both of our egos are, are perfectly compensated. So number five on my list is a recent film, and I think it's underappreciated. I think when it was released, it was underappreciated, and I'd eventually like to revisit it in whole. And it's from 2014. It's Big Eyes, and it starred Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz. Yeah, we saw that. That's yeah. that's one of the rare occurrences on the podcast where all three of us saw it for the first time together in a movie theater. So that's that's key. I like when Burton applies his aesthetics to a real world, you know, scenario, like something that actually happened. Like when he does biographies, I think because his mm-hmm. his 
his style is so distinct and so visually imaginative that I like seeing how it's applied to the real world setting. And I think this is my favorite movie that Burton's directed since his peak years. I think it deserves a reevaluation because mm-hmm. I think both Amy Adams and Christoph Waltz deliver some of their best work in this movie. And it is a great take on how artists, how people can be manipulated. You know, someone's work could be stolen from them and brought to somebody else. For anybody that's in the creative arts, that's like a nightmarish scenario where someone takes away your creative freedom. Because it's about Margaret Keene, who direct. I guess she produced all these big-eyed paintings that were like a fad in like the early 60s. They're kind of this garish, kind of kitschy paintings but you can see why Burton was drawn to it because of the big eyes literally that's that's his big thing but both Adams and Waltz Waltz plays a a really deplorable but a fun deplorable asshole in that Mm -hmm. he's very funny but there's very little redeeming value in him he's just a a, basically a con man Mm -hmm. who pulls everybody into believing that he produced the work Mm-hmm. And Amy Adams just plays this despondent character, which she does really well in general. And I felt like a lot of the work that both Adams and Waltz put into this movie got overlooked. I'll have to revisit it, but that's my number five. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, it's been a while yeah. since I've seen that. Obviously, I yeah. saw it that one time years ago. You know, yeah, yeah. But I, I remember really, really liking it. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think you're right. It was, again, it's an original movie. It's not, it's not something that he was hired to do because he's Tim Burton. Right. It's something that he did. So. It, it shares uh, the same screenwriters as another film on my list, and these guys w- w- were accustomed to oddball biopics, so I yeah. think you know where I'm heading with that. But that's my number five. It's going to be Big Eyes. Okay. My number five is is a... I would say it's a batshit crazy movie, <laughs> but I, I, I love it. It's Mars Attacks. <laughs> Oh, I mean, this cast is amazing. It's got Jack Nicholson in it. Michael J. F- is Michael J. Fox? Is yeah, in Michael it. J. Fox is in um, it. Pierce Brosnan is in it. I mean, it's a it's Martin Bond Short is. is in it. It's it's got a yeah. It's got a it's just it's fun. It's uneven, but there are moments in it that are really funny. Actually, Pierce Brosnan has the best character. He's just kind of like conceited, you know. And uh, is he like D Man? Yeah, he's just like, yeah, <laughs> my character be mad. No, much more so. Um, but yeah, it's a great idea to do like a 1950s um, styled sci-fi, you know, movie. It doesn't completely work, um, but it's fun and it's, it's you know, Danny Elfman score and um, uh, it's definitely a labor of love. It's just probably, it was, it's too ambitious, you know, as far as a the cast it was like multiple cities and jack nicholson plays the president i mean that's a, that's the craziest oh part and it's just you're speaking to the converted here he plays so. like multiple characters right he does yeah. like uh he does dr, dr. strange, strange Love. Yeah. <laughs> he plays like a vegas boss it's been a while since i've seen it um i'll, I'll have to revisit it but it's just i i love the idea i've actually never movie. seen it i've heard of it yeah, it's, it came it. out in, like, it was at the end when you say, like, his peak years. But, uh, again, it's an original movie, and um, it's very Tim Burton. And um, the idea that they were meeting these aliens, thinking they're friendly, and they start shooting them. And it's it's a, uh, it's a throwback to a lot of different stuff. So, um, yeah, that's my number five. 
Tim Burton movie. It's a good. That's an. Inter- it's a fun choice. Fun choice. It's yeah. a fun choice. And I, I, I love Jack Nicholson's performance in that movie. Yeah, that's too. it for, for that. For that alone, is 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 worth the worth giving it a watch. My favorite scene in that movie is when he goes to Jim Jim Brown's in the movie. Yeah, Jim and Brown. If you're plays, from Northeast Ohio, yeah. that's kind of cool in of itself. But he plays like a bouncer in Vegas. Yeah, and he goes, I've changed my life around. I've done all these things. I gave up pork, and he goes on to some other details and then Nicholson is playing this Vegas casino yeah. kind of owner goes you gave up pork it's <laughs> my favorite line in the movie yeah, like the, Nicholson obviously has a blast in that movie yes sure. Mars Attacks yeah. yes he'll come up for me again later too yeah. so oh, yeah. um, so Tony what's your number five pick okay so my number five is Beetlejuice ah, ah that's a great pick that's yeah. a great pick <laughs> I have a feeling that might rank. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, it, yes. Um, you know, I always, I, Beetlejuice was obviously of my generation, and I lo- always loved Renona Ryder, and so I think I loved it for that, and Michael Keaton was great. Um, it's, I think it's just, it, it's got quintessential Tim Burton. Oh, yeah. You know, in so many ways. But uh, the story's fantastic. I mean, I don't want to go too much. We can always wait till. It ranks on one of your lists, <laughs> yeah. and then we can talk more about it. Well, we have a whole podcast. But it was, honestly, too. it was tough. Like, it, doing the top, doing five was kind of tough for me. Um, Beetlejuice, I, I really love it. I respect it. I appreciate it. It's not, obviously, not, like, my favorite favorite. Um, but I think it, it, it deserves to be in a top five because it is so, it's a great story. It's so unique. Um, it's a part of my childhood, and it's just so Tim Burton. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think for you especially, you should appreciate Beetlejuice because, in a way, Heather's wouldn't have happened without Beetlejuice because that's what made Winona Ryder uh, notable. Notable, yeah. And led, like, oh, she's cut, she plays the troubled outsider teen really well. Not troubled, but kind of the yeah. awkward gothic teen. I myself am unusual. Yes. <laughs> she's great in Regina that movie. Davis is so great. I always yeah. her Alec Baldwin. I mean, it's a wonderful yeah. cast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh. And, I mean, we'll go more into it, but it's a fantastic movie. But it, I mean, honestly, this top five was kind of tough for me. Um, <laughs> so Beetlejuice had to be number five. Yeah, that's good. Well, that segues beautifully into my number four, which is Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it, it wavered between three and four. I, I think for a period, I might have put this. Five uh, yeah, it wavered because uh, between three and four, and I think maybe a few years. Be- a few years ago, I probably would have ranked it three. Um, I think the only reason I, I knocked this out is because I think three might have a stronger script, and that's that was like the defining factor for you me. Know, I know they talked about doing a Beetlejuice too. It's never happened yet, though. They're always talking about it, and I, you know, I don't think I think Burton's on the fence. It's weird. He'll do these commercial movies like Dumbo, but he's very very reluctant to do a sequel to Beetlejuice without having everything in place, which tells me he cares about the quality of that yeah. movie. Absolutely. Story for him. Yeah, I know Michael Keaton would love to play the character again. Renona would be so great. Oh, so good to have her back. Uh, to have them both. There was a cartoon series where it was just yeah. focused around yeah. Beetlejuice and Lydia yeah. as like friends, which like never happened 90s. in the movie. It was in like the early nineties. I remember watching. Yeah, it. yeah I watched it. Yeah, uh, it didn't make any sense. No, no it didn't really make didn't. any That's sense at all. I said I like this better in live action form than in this. Com- they in had the a lot of like they did something cartoon. similar with Punky Brewster. Yeah, she had a cartoon, and she had yeah. like a she had like a magical friend, like Beetlejuice. Same, it was basically yeah. the same cartoon. 
I the, the original though I love uh, for a lot of reasons. I love the score. I love the whole aesthetic. Michael Keaton is phenomenally funny in this movie. Like for us, like it's right up my alley. He's one of my favorite actors in general. I love when he goes to like the whorehouse. Oh man, too. He goes working an average run of the mill Joe's yeah. myself find a place to relax. And I love that line. You know, any of the spikes. And there's another great. We, we've talked about the movie before on the podcast, but there's another great scene where Lydia uh, approaches Beetlejuice for the first time, and they're kind of bonding. So I guess I can see how the cartoon developed from there, where she goes, "I'd like to come." He goes, "Do you want me to? You have to break me out from from this from being trapped in the afterlife." And Lydia goes, "Well, actually, I'd like to come in there." And Beetlejuice goes, "Why?" And it's a small moment, but everyone comments on it because it's it's like there's a hint of compassion from Beetlejuice. Like I don't. Why would you want to kill yourself and join us? We're trying to get back out here. Yeah. Uh, so. It also just goes to show how lonely she was, you know, as a yeah. human and how, mm-hmm. I mean, just uh, like desperate for a friend she was to, to, to yeah. feel like she could have had a better life in the afterlife. You have to realize, too, like in 1988 when this came out, it was so unique that people had never really seen in a long time, at least something. Yeah, Yeah, and funny. It was like dark but funny. Right, and visually distinctive. It just it was a unique voice, more so than another movie I'll mention. We've mentioned already. That's why I say it's so quintessential Tim Burton. It It is. It really is. I mean, Beetlejuice is just so. Yes, it's one of those movies that define. Tim Burton. If you if you it, had to put in a time yeah. capsule who Tim it, Burton is, you'd show it comes him. Even the people he works with, Renona Ryder. Yeah. Keaton, you know, That's when he started getting his Elfman, people yeah. that he worked with over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my number four, which kind of was convenient because we could talk about it side to side. But my my number four is Batman. Oh. But we could talk about Batman Returns. <laughs> Since we're going to talk about Batman. We might as well just talk about Batman Returns. Why, I don't know what you think. Why you think we'll talk about Batman again? Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. But I uh, think Batman Returns we could talk about because that's also another Tim Burton movie. Oh, yeah, Catwoman. Like Catwoman. Catwoman is yeah. great, yeah. and uh, you know, I just want to make make it clear I have Batman in this spot, not Batman Returns. Right. But uh, Batman Returns is a watchable movie. It's just uh, it's 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 when Tim Burton says. <laughs> Fuck this. <laughs> I'm doing my own thing. Yeah, we're and criticizing for not doing that enough now, but now we re- remember what happens when that does. You can't does. do it with established property. It's hard. Yeah. And I think he, that's why he struggles with it. Um, yeah. But, um, well, do you know what the backstory is on that? He gained, in order for him to come back to do the sequel, because they Warner Brothers really wanted him, they gave him full creative control to do whatever he wanted with that yeah. film. Yeah. And that was too tempting for him to give up so he did it because he wasn't interested in doing the penguin because he did not relate to the penguin yeah. the traditional penguin character did not resonate with him yeah and when, I mean Danny DeVito knocked it out of the park though and that and that started a, a, a kinship Danny's appeared in other Tim Burton yes. movies then well Danny DeVito is great I mean whatever you ask him to do yeah, right. Right. he's so good there like, pe- who else would you get to play the Penguin? Well, I mean, he, he was a choice for everyone before the movie was yeah. even greenlit because when they were thinking of a modern Penguin at that time in the late 80s, yeah. Danny DeVito is the first guy. But I think people p- p- imagine him being more like Burgess Meredith, you know, where he's doing... Not an actual Penguin man. No, I, that's not what we all had in mind. <laughs> but that's what would come out of uh, Oswald Cobblepot <laughs> or right. Pee Wee Herman or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, that, that, that's creepy in and of itself. Oddly enough, uh, I think Paul I just, Rubens was I cast. Oh yeah, and, uh, um, I wish we had Lance here to do the <laughs> that little light laugh. Well, um, 
oddly enough, Paul, Paul Rubens was cast as the Penguin's father on the show Gotham, too. So they obviously made that parallel between wow. Batman That's Returns. I unfortunately caught a part of that this week. I guess this, this was the full-on... Uh, the series finale of Gotham was like when they showed you all the Batman characters in Batman. Oh, how would I, as a Batman fan, and I thought I'm a, I love Batman, but I do not watch Gotham. Like it's too talk about batshit crazy show. It's, it I, I think any idea is like what do you what do you? I love Batman. You know what would be a great idea? You take him out of it. <laughs> take him out of it. Take him out of the whole no, picture. Yeah, yeah what's, what about there. everything? We'll just take everything out of that of the show that you liked about the Batman comics and just make it a traditional. Uh, uh, yeah, well, it's not really traditional. I mean, it's, it's, it's not like, traditional. It's it's not a great show. <laughs> it just isn't. It's it's it has its following. I I respect that because there are listeners yeah, yeah. of podcasts that love it, but I'm I've always bowed out of it. But with that Batman Returns, though, it's it's kind of a crazy movie. It's all over the place. There are elements that I love. There's some dark psychological probing moments in it that I love. I love Chris Walken as Max Shrek, yeah. who wasn't even oh, in the comics. Christopher Walken is yeah. anything is pure gold. He's probably the best villain in that movie. Yeah. You know, He's so good. Yeah, he, he is. Anything. I mean, he throws Michelle Pfeiffer out a window. And, and she gets... Licked by cats, or yeah. does she get bitten by cats and it turns into a cat? Yeah, she gets bitten and scratched, right? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like a abstract like a cat, transition into it. I don't think it's meant to be taken literally as like she becomes. She got pushed out of the window and she's dead, and she gets brought back to life by cats. Uh, I, yeah, there's there's, <laughs> there's there's talk about whether that could be like was meant to be taken literally or psychologically. So there's, the... but she was pushed out of the window and she died. Like like uh, she survived. She had no injuries. Well, cat scratch fever. I'm taking it literally. I don't care what people say. It's possible to be taken literally. I'm taking it literally. She fell out of the window. Was brought back to cats kicking, licking her, and scratching her. Sabrina, get over here. Yeah, Sabrina, if I die, <laughs> I know exactly who's going to revive me. Yeah, but yeah, that even though that wasn't your choice, I'm glad you brought it up because a lot of people prefer Batman Returns to the original Batman because of the reasons we're talking about. Because it if is it wasn't so a crazy. Batman movie, you'd probably like it better. Yeah, yeah. I never liked the circus gang either that the, the Penguins surrounded themselves with. It was yes. just weird seeing. I know Batman fights the Joker. I get that he's a clown, but that's enough. We don't need fifty. Well, I don't know. I just didn't work for. We don't need all. It's like it's like it's makes right. me think of Spider Man Three when there was just too many villains going on. Yeah, and you couldn't focus. You have too many distractions yes. going on, and, and that's like what they did with the one Batman, Batman Forever, with Mister Freeze and the Riddler and I uh, Poison Ivy, and they had too yeah. many villains. It's like pick one. And too many, too many garish sets. Like Gotham yeah. worked best. We'll get to it soon, but I think the the original film they they caught it, and then Nolan, of course, when he did his movies brought everything back to like a grittier more far more realistic setting but uh but batman returns that's an interesting movie to talk about you know, <laughs> you know. so batman's on number four <laughs> so batman the original but uh so tony what's your number three you mean my number four? Oh, you're yeah. number four that's right i'm sorry my number four is um batman oh ah ah i'm a huge vicky vale fan uh. <laughs> No, I mean, obviously, for reasons that we were just talking about, we can got, dive into it more, because I have a suspicion that Batman might rank higher on John's <laughs> list than it yes. did on ours. But um, for me, it was really one of the first superhero movies I really remember seeing, mm -hmm. you know? And I I just thought it was 
I mean, how can you not get immersed into that world? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That dark world of Gotham, you know, and the Joker. And I did really like Vicki Vale. I thought she was very stylish. And, um, I liked her, that she was like an independent woman. And did you like Bat Dance from Prince? Um, hello. <laughs> you can't have Batman without Bat Dance. No. Or the Joker's dancing, you know, for that matter. Uh, uh, the best part is when the Joker breaks into the bank. <laughs> you know, with the boombox, he's like carrying a boombox. Oh, the art, art. He has the art. Yeah, yeah, the, the art gallery. The, yeah, the art gallery. He's got like his dummies carrying the boombox. They play Party Man yeah, by Prince. That's it, that's yeah. It, yeah no. Gentlemen, let's broaden yeah. our minds, um, Lawrence. <laughs> didn't he have a hard time like destroying art or painting over art? Because well, he's an art lover. Well, Jack Nicholson said that he like he was talking about playing the Joker, which is one of my favorite interview segments in history. Listening <laughs> to him talk about it, and he goes. This guy, he goes, I, I approached it a little more seriously than other people would. Not really seriously, but like I, I, I thought about it. He goes, this is a man who survived nuclear waste immersion. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's a little, his wiring is not intact. And he goes, like, there are things he does that are deplorable. Like he, he shocks a guy with a hand buzzer. And uh, I'm an art lover. And he destroys art. And that was tough for me to do. Not this guy. There are no limits with this guy. This guy is a limit. <laughs> so, yeah. I, uh, he, it was tough for him to watch. Well, not really tough for him. He just knew that the Joker did not value things in the way that other people do. Um, yeah. So that's a fine choice, Tony, for your number number four. I mean, the music, the score. You know, yeah. you know Batman March. I mean, it's just so, when you're a kid, epic. <laughs> it's fantastic. Uh, my number three uh, was wavering between three and four, uh, and I think it's a great movie. And, and the more I see it, even as an adult, the more I appreciate it. Is Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Oh. I ranked it uh, three between Pee Wee and Beetlejuice because when I when I wavered and and I said, you know, Pee Wee has a perfect script in a way. It is almost yeah. a pitch perfect script. It's probably one of the best stories that Tim Burton has ever told. Mm -hmm. It's a very simple story about a man trying to find his bike. But what that allows is for all these like side adventures, anecdotes to take place and it's almost like I can't think of a better vehicle for a character like Pee Wee Herman than Pee Wee's big adventure. Yeah. Like it it is extraordinarily funny. <laughs> Uh, absurd, and it's a typical Tim Burton movie. It's not really gothic like we associate with yeah. Burton. There, are, there are flourishes of that, but it's almost more of the quirky, absurdist humor. That's almost and, and that childlike element, you know, like Pee Wee's like a big kid. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's, you know I, <laughs> I mean, so it's like he's what is he? Is he a man? Is he a child? You know, mm -hmm. like he, he's just so undefined. It is. Um, and, and I think one of the things, like, what Pee-wee's Big Adventure brought into the mainstream a little bit was the, the aesthetics of, of acts like the B-52s and Talking Heads, yes. um, John Waters, all these yeah. weird, kitschy, kind of self-aware, ironic kind of kitsch. Like yeah. 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 Um, he brought that into the mainstream and packaged it as a children's film. Mm -hmm. And even though Burton is not necessarily of that ilk completely... I think maybe having somebody that has a visual style like Burton and that absurdist humor mm -hmm. was the perfect catalyst to bring Pee-wee to life in that way. Uh, and, of course, I said the large march thing scared the shit out of me as a kid, so <laughs> I obviously... Mean, just the whole thing. Like, I, I've often thought about... So, I've often thought about using Pee-wee's speech about being a rebel, like, when people ask me out. Because they probably wouldn't realize that it was from Pee-wee's Big Adventure. You know, when he goes into the whole... You don't want to... I'm a rebel, rebel yeah, dotty. What a... does he say? He says something like, Oh, there are things about me. Yeah. You don't want to get to know me. And he goes into the whole thing. I'm a rebel. I have to give a quiet. <laughs> it's just so great, but 
thing I love so much, first of all, I just absolutely love the character of Pee-wee. I think it's brilliant. It is completely up my alley for anyone who really knows the kind of characters that I gravitate towards. Um, I just think it's brilliant. I love the fact that it's undefined. That vagueness is, is so alluring to me. Um, just every, every component about Pee-wee, it just cracks me up. And I also like the fact that he's kind of like a secret asshole. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like disguised as this friendly little kid. <laughs> yeah. He's kind of a jerk, which yeah, makes you yeah, love him even more. Uh, yeah. Pee-wee Herman. <laughs> Pee-wee Herman and Pee-wee's Big Adventure is kind of an asshole. He asshole. He's an asshole. No. Uh, he's made a body. No, he's yeah. Body, yeah. But he just kind of is. Um, but, I mean, of course, when he dances to tequila, you know, I mean, just, it, it's so far from reality that I just, I love it because I love weird people and, and I'm just fascinated. I, I think it was a real, being someone who does comedy and who really appreciates character work, you know, when you go all out with the costumes and you really mm -hmm. commit to a character, that's brilliant. It's like Elvira. I have that same admiration for Pee Wee that I have for Elvira, which I know they both stem from the growling, so mm -hmm. I'm not surprised. But it's it's just to me it's it's like, oh my god, it's brilliant. Mm -hmm. The Groundlings are noted for their character work, mm -hmm. you know, in improv circles. If you look at Paul Rubens, obviously, and we've talked about Elvira before. Cassandra yeah, Cassandra Peterson, Lorraine Newman from SNL was one of the original Groundlings to break out. Will Ferrell, I mean, yes. just look at the yeah. list of Phil people. Hartman. Phil Hartman, yeah. you know, uh, who oh co-wrote the script for this movie with Paul Rubens was Phil I mean, Hartman. Sherry Terry was a Growling, too, and she yeah. was no yeah. really good characters on SNL. I like getting a shout out to Phil Hartman because this script is terrific that he and Paul Rubens came up with, and I think he's in the movie in a few. He's a cameo. Yeah, yeah, I think this, cameo. this led to their well, kind of falling out. Yeah, together. And, well, in the TV series, Pee-wee's Playhouse, he was um, uh, Phil Hartman was the captain. Oh God, what was his name? He was like a visitor. He would always like come, kind of like a Miss Vaughn. Yeah. What was his name? Captain something. You'll have to look it up. Mm -hmm. But he was in the show. Yeah, I, I remember him coming on a few times mm -hmm. and stuff, but. I remember one of the funniest instances of Pee-wee's Big Adventure, and you know, hopefully we'll go into a deep dive someday on the movie, but I remember watching Siskel and Ebert talking about the movie, and Siskel said he was a big Pee-wee Herman fan, but he hated the movie. I'm like, that's like saying, I, I, I love Superman, but I hated Superman the movie with Christopher Reeve, because it's like, how could you love the character and hate that film? I can understand that. Yeah. I can understand that. Um, but... Uh... No, yeah, I mean, Pee-wee, and then just, I love the different voices that he does, you know, how he has that real, like, sinister laugh, mm -hmm. and then the real, la, 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 and like the high-pitched, mm -hmm. just, I mean, I just think the character is so brilliant. And it was the very first Danny Elfman score, too, yeah. that's another notable aspect. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a, uh, this movie is like the, uh, the light bulb, the aha, we have something here. Yes, it and is. I think that's cool, like, to, to know that, and... And even when you watch the movie, you can see it's kind of like the start of a beautiful friendship, or, or it's, you feel that energy and that magic about it. He played Captain Carl. Captain Carl. Yeah. So I give props to this movie, and like I said, I hope that's one movie we'd we'd do a deep dive eventually into. And I'm going to give a shout, a shout out to our friend Dwight Pig, who's a big Pee Wee Herman yeah. fan. So, yes. Um, yes. oh my God, what was the uh, what was Pete, the guy that the bully that Francis? It's not for sale. <laughs> yeah, to buy his bike. yeah. Oh, I know you are, but what am I? So silly. I love it. Then he goes to Francis's house. Remember, and he's like in the tub, and the dad lets him in, and somebody had like bubble gum. 
It's just it's a it's total child's play. It is. I mean, I I know I know you are, but what am I? Every oh, kid in the playground said that nonstop. Mean, nonstop. <laughs> and uh, that's the other thing. Let's let's also acknowledge the 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 impact that Pee Wee had on eighties culture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it was undeniable. Oh, it led to Pee Wee's Playhouse too. On well, top yeah, of that, I mean, yeah. Like, like Scott said, Kim saying, and I mean that character was so iconic. And, and Pee Wee's. Long before I'd ever seen anything with him, I knew who he was. You knew the line. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And also his crack cocaine commercial, which, That's right. <laughs> That's which we should all. <laughs> that is. Crack cocaine, serious <laughs> business, kids. I, That's the other thing. I love how Pee Wee has. I don't know, like what you even call that, like an accent. He just sounds like a snot nosy kid. Yeah, it, it does. Between Pee Wee Herman and Mr. T, it was just like everybody had a character. Although Mr. T is Mr. T, you know, but everybody had a larger than life. (laughs) Yeah, it was everybody had a larger than life persona. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So Scott, what's your number three? Well, my number three, and now we said it three times, is Beetlejuice. (laughs) (laughs) Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. So we could sum them. Yeah. No, I love this movie. Uh, Just we covered it, but uh, you know. Just watching Michael Keaton, it's funny, it's weird, and I think it is a quintessential Tim Burton film mm-hmm. um, because it's not. There's no other reason for it to exist other than Tim Burton. So um, I don't know if he, someone probably wrote it. I don't know if it was his idea or not. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just. I think it's the movie that's like, it's just funny, and you know the the cast is great and. It, just does a lot of the, you know, that kind of like the the that world where like you go into like a the, the ghost world where they have like the mm-hmm. you go to Mars. This is so bizarre. You go to Mars and they have this the, the, the with the sandworms. Yeah. And they just come out of. The, I was scared of the case of sandworms. Those are scary back when they I was eight years. Crazy. Yeah. Um, and Bill just gets eaten by one, right? And he goes. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> It has a great scene with him and his head shrinks. It's just, it's just a fun movie, and uh, yeah. yeah. I like the lady that her body's like cut in half. So this is a great film. Yeah, I like mm. how Beetlejuice is a pervert. Yes. So what's your number three, Tony? Well, my number three was Pee Wee. Oh, okay. Pee Wee, so Pee Wee's Playhouse. We, we tied. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, and yep. that's a fine choice. Now, number two may shock people, but may not, depending on where you think things lie. But my, number two is Batman, nineteen eighty nine. Whoa! It's yeah. shocking. It's not number one. Uh, <gasps> I, I have such a deep affection. I understand maybe the script for Batman isn't as strong as some of the other films we've mentioned, but I cannot deny. I know where your number one is now. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I bet you do. Um, but number two is um, Batman had an enormous impact on <laughs> I know you are, but what am I? Yeah. Um, this movie had an enormous impact on me, and it, it led me to a, a lifelong love of Batman, a lifelong love of Jack Nicholson, a lifelong love of Danny Elfman and Michael Keaton. I loved both all those, Burton, Keaton, and Elfman because of Beetlejuice, but this was different because... 
it it just I love the aesthetics of the of the film, the German expressionism it kind of evoked, which I didn't know that at the time, but in the, the more because who, who what what thirteen year old wasn't into German expressionism in nineteen eighty nine? Like uh, I was, I was nine. I was like, this is German. I don't know about Batman, but I know about German expressionism. <laughs> who would who wouldn't? Um, and anybody for for our listeners, if you go to like. Fritz Long and like is that with Metropolis? Metropolis yes, like yeah, it has the same ending as Metropolis, almost to the T. It goes into the silent film era. It was a movement in in, in German art and, and and other things. And, and then the Nazis came in. Yeah, <laughs> Josh Greenwald, who's been on the podcast for Batman, said like I don't think we need Germans expressing themselves because we know what that ends up <laughs> where we end up in that. They can express themselves now. But yeah, then. now that it would be okay. Um, and I, I love it. I, I love the character. Uh, this is still my favorite Batman movie, um, even to this day. It's celebrating its 30th anniversary. It's going to be released in theaters cool. soon, again, for its 30th. I uh, definitely, you know, there were a lot of really hot Batmans, but I definitely think Michael Keaton was the sexiest. No. He had the most neurotic Batman, and almost like he was a hero by default. Like, it just, like, this is the neurotic tendency the for... The I'd like to point out, too, is he looks really hot in a turtleneck. You know, men don't wear turtlenecks much these days, should. And here's a fine example why. Friends will post this on the Facebook page. And look at the glasses. I mean, he was definitely the most stylish. Is that when he was looking at his parents dying? Uh-huh. <laughs> but he looked good doing it in that turtleneck. Are you saying he didn't look stylish as Beetlejuice? Um, that's debatable. Right. And he also has the blue eyes and the dark hair, which I like. But the thing I like about Michael Keaton is he's not gorgeous like George Clooney. He looks like a man that really could be Batman. George Clooney is almost too good looking that it's not real. Too you well adjusted. I mean? yeah. like, right. Val Kilmore was just not a good fit in general. And then who else was Batman? Oh, Christian Bale was Batman. Christian Bale was Batman, but he's Patrick Bateman to me. I mean, nothing else. <laughs> he will always be Patrick Bateman. But Patrick Bateman is what made people think of him as Bruce Wayne because of that dark because edge of a chic, yuppie looking I mean, millionaire. No, he just looks like a million, like a like a modest millionaire. That could be a Batman. Yes. I mean, there's, a, there's a mystique to Michael Keaton. This is the genius of Tim Burton with that film and casting Michael Keaton, because it was a very controversial decision at the time. Like, people were up in arms. Batman fans were up in arms because Michael Keaton was a comedian. What's he doing playing Batman? It's going to be just like the TV show with yeah. Adam West. And Tim Burton said, I cast him because of his eyes, because Michael yeah. Keaton has this manic look in his eyes. He like, he would do something. And, and I like the crack in his lips. Like, he just is sexy. <laughs> and I feel like if you're going to be Batman, you have to have a sexy like mouth and smile. You do. Because mm-hmm. that's what you see in the suit. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's all you that, see. That's exactly that, what appealed to me at yeah. 13. <laughs> you have to, <laughs> what are you telling us, Sean? No, I, 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 I had a crush, have, no. Like, you have to have, you know, like that chiseled... I mean, you do. Don't you think? Yeah. And you have to paint around your eyes black. <laughs> yeah. Which is always funny in Batman Returns because they have that one shot where... The paint isn't around his eyes, and he takes off his mask, and it's obvious that there wasn't paint there, you know. <laughs> so it was it was a it was a faux pas. They paint they paint the eyes, but they didn't want you to know it was paint. Right, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I don't care what you guys think. Guys like Batman for Batman. Women like Batman for Bruce Wayne. Yes, and that's. He made a great Bruce Wayne. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, no, Mike, I, there's no argument for me. And I, I think uh, Nicholson's Joker is kind of underappreciated these days because Heath Ledger and dessert like Heath Ledger. I'm not going to take anything away from that performance and that depiction of the character. It's unique. It's great, as great as advertised, and deserving of the Oscar. 
But my favorite Joker is always going to be Jack Nicholson. Like that's that he's so larger than life. I mean, even playing Jack Napier, the criminal, is yeah. fun because he's kind of drawing from James Cagney and mm-hmm. and Humphrey yeah. Bogart in those early scenes, and he looks really chic. Oh, look at Vicky Vale. Speaking of chic, she was definitely the best Batman girl. We're looking at pictures of Vicky Vale now. <laughs> <laughs> she has a turtleneck and glasses I know, on. Like, yeah, yeah. Glasses. I mean, just very timeless. I like, look at her hair, just so pretty. And you, you guys, I tend to like brunettes better, but. She was a great bat girl. Yeah. Or, or bat love interest, if you will. Yeah. And I yeah. like that she was independent. You know, she had her own career. She was the photographer. Or photographer. And, yeah. And she hung out with Robert Wool. Robert Wool. <laughs> and he's just she like. She didn't need Batman, but, you know, hey, he's there. <laughs> he's there. He's. He's great. And I love the suit and the aesthetics in the Batmobile, everything that Burton designed for that film. Because I think it's unique for a Tim Burton movie because he's applying really strong visual aesthetics, but it's not. Like Beetlejuice or some of the other films we'll probably mention here that are distinctly Tim Burton with the weird yeah. arch like designs. Batman Returns is more like a Tim Burton film proper mm-hmm. than this movie where he kind of downplays it but gives it a distinct look. And I yeah. love what he did with this movie. Yeah, it's, it's a I great mean, movie. Come on, guys. I can't comment on this. It's my number four. Yeah, it's number four. So that's my number two. Uh, so my number two is Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, like we all have. I mean, I, I love this movie. It Got Godzilla in it, so I <laughs> he goes through the Warner Brothers set, right? Yeah, Warner Brothers. Uh, he does. We we actually yeah. visited yeah, the he set. Does on the yeah, 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 bicycle, and they're doing the scene between Godzilla and King Ghidorah, and it, Godzilla takes a ride on a the tram. There you go. <laughs> the I guy mean, in a suit, and that was a period where Godzilla was being utilized in a lot of comedies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, One crazy summer with Bobcat Goldthwait is the quintessential. The Godzilla suit was big in the mid eighties. Um, so I always, as a kid, I was a huge Godzilla fan, so I always loved that what moment. What do you mean, when you were a kid? You still are. I still am, but, but I was even bigger, probably. And, uh, oh yeah, and it's just, I love the breakfast machine. I always wanted one of those. Yes. To make that your own breakfast. That so cool. What's it, a Rube Goldberg? Yeah, um, the Rube Goldberg uh, machine. machine. And uh, it'd be so cool that you can have your own breakfast in the morning. And then, wouldn't you like to have one? And then, like, a little Sabrina's food gets poured out, too. Aww. <laughs> you can, what, what would you have for breakfast? It's like French toast. I'd or... have like two uh, hard-boiled eggs. Eggs Benedict. Yeah. Full disclosure, too. Like we all visited the set of Warner Brothers a couple of years ago in Burbank, yeah. and this movie utilizes it towards its third half extraordinarily well oh. in a very creative way. Oh, it's, it's, it's a great it's, scene. It's a great a bicycle chase. It's, 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 it's awesome. yeah. It's, it, so it's the Hollywood studio of your dreams being taken <laughs> advantage of here by Pee Wee. It's, it's fantastic to watch that yeah. sequence. So Tony's number two. Oh, it is. It's, yeah. It's, the way that you feel about big eyes is how I feel about this movie, which is Big Fish. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That was the other big. I think, <laughs> a, I think it's a magical, beautiful, heartwarming story about family and the relationship between father and son. And it's, I remember seeing it, and 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 in a very good way. I remember thinking, wow, Tim Burton has grown. You know, like it, it. it Aesthetically, it's very different than the Beetlejuices and the Batmans. It's more of, I guess, what you would say, a mainstream type of film. Although there are those nuances. And, and with folks like Helena Bonham Carter and Danny DeVito and, and quirky storylines and characters, it definitely has that Tim Burton charm. But it's, it's a little bit more sophisticated. 
It, it's like Tim Burton as an adult making a movie, whereas you feel like Beetlejuice is like teenage Tim Burton. Mm -hmm. Not that there's anything be better or worse than either. They're both Tim Burton, and it's cool. Um, but the story of Big Fish, if you, if you, have you guys seen it? Yes, yes, I have. I've seen Big then Fish. You know. I mean, it, yeah. it has all those, those sci-fi... Well, sci-fi, fantasy, not fantasy, yeah. sci-fi. It's it's definitely very fantasy, and 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 it has you know the romance and and the magic and that wonder, but it's told in a much more I guess mature way. Is it Emma McGregor's in it? Ewan McGregor. Ewan, yeah. Ewan McGregor. I'm sorry. And uh, um, what's his name? Billy Crudup. Yes. Plays the son. Terrific actor. Yeah. yeah. Billy Crudup. It, it's just such a sweet, sweet story, and 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 it's one I think that's especially great for people who may have a. a a troubled or rocky relationship with their parents at any point um, because it really hones in on that child-parent relationship and and about perception versus reality. Yeah. And I just think it's neat at the end of this story when all the goofy, crazy, tall tales that he thought his dad was always telling, he learned at the funeral that they were real, that those mm -hmm. people existed. And, and, it, and, and, it's, and it's like a story of love. It's a story about faith. It's a story about magic and kindness and relationships and it all I, the thing i love too so much about it is it's definitely it has a similar for me it has a similar sentiment as it's a wonderful life where your life impacts so many others the people we meet along our journeys whether it's for five minutes for a cup of tea or if it's for lifelong friendships it matters and it makes a difference and it could have a huge and lasting impact and you know, that's where I just think it's so heartwarming. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just very touching. I, I This movie touches my heart, and it always makes me cry, and I just think it's so sweet. It really is well done. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it. I've, been, mm -hmm. I've only seen it in parts. I, I really want to... Mm -hmm. I always just never got around to, to seeing Big Fish, but... I'll let you borrow it. I have yeah. it. Okay. It's really a fantastic story. It's also been a while since I've seen it, but I know that this is considered, like, one of his like for a lot of people, his best movie since that peak period. Um, Amanda Iman, who does Amanda's Picture So Go Go, loves this movie as well. Uh, when you consider the script and the care and the story, because some of his movies like Pee Wee, they have a like a like a plot, but not really like a amazing story. Yeah, you know, mm. like storyline. You know what I mean? Yeah. This movie is just so well rounded. Like it really mm. it would probably be like um, to compare it to John Waters, this would be like his serial mom. Mm -hmm. Where it seems like a whole complete movie, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. If you watch some of his John Weathers earlier stunts, and you're like, okay, this looks like a college kid's movie. Mm -hmm. Even Hairspray, to an extent, has a graininess uh -huh. to it, you know, where a serial mom is like, wow, it's in Technicolor. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of, this mm -hmm. is kind of like that, too, for me, I think, for, for Tim Burton. But, uh, yeah, I remember it came out when I was in high school. I think it's 2002 or 2003. 2003, yeah, it came out. And I remember my boyfriend at the time, um, was my first boyfriend, and I remember when he saw the movie. And there's a really sweet scene where Ewan McGregor's character sees the woman that will be his wife, and how he kind of pers per pursues her, and how like how like time stops when he sees her. Mm -hmm. And it's just really sweet. This is a great example of when Tim Burton moves away from, let's say, a uh, established property. Like this is yeah. based on a book by John August, if I remember, but it's not a a book that people were widely familiar with. Sort of like Forrest Gump. It has that kind of vibe yeah, I to it. Would have known it was a book. Right. Uh and I think it makes it feel wholly original. And I, I think mm -hmm. 
Burton's best movie since his peak have usually been when he moves away from what people expect from Tim Burton exactly. and does something unique. Big Eyes is exactly. an example, exactly. and Big Fish. Exactly. Uh, big they have those Tim Burton elements to it, and, mm. and a charm, and his his thumbprints on it. But but it does feel like its own thing. It does. Um, Albert Finney gives a great performance. I think he's really oh, funny Albert as Finney's the older. So and then who, Diane Lane plays his wife. When yes, yeah, she's, she's really sweet too. It's just a, it's it's just a, a sweet, heartwarming, touching. I mean, those are just the words that come to mind when I think of that. If you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend checking it out because it's it is something. It's just uh, I don't know. It's unique. It's magical. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's really cool. That's a fantastic number two pick. I'm glad you picked something that you know uh, represents a lot of people. Another side of Tim Burton that people don't always think of. Yeah, you, you talked earlier. You touched on how he he really appreciates and strives to have those humanity to to tell stories about humanity, and then this is definitely one of those. You know that relationship. It's real. Um, you know, not to say that something Beetlejuice couldn't be real, mm-hmm. but. Um, I don't know. I think this is big fish is really relatable because mm-hmm. we all have thoughts about our parents and we wonder what was real and what was yeah wasn't. are they telling the truth or what really went down you know I think of that when I think of my parents' divorce because you ask my dad one you ask my dad about the divorce it's one story you ask my mom it's another so mm-hmm. it's it's I think a lot of kids can relate to that. Well, my number one I think also dovetails into what you're talking about with Tim Burton, like the humanity and the humor and talking about real people that actually exist. And it's uh, it would be tough to downplay Batman, but this movie is one of my favorite films and it sums up so much of what I of my own viewpoints on creativity, what constitutes being a creative genius and what doesn't, the the whole concept of art and subjectivity and the thin line between brilliance and stupidity and yeah. everything else, uh, and also oddball relationships that form in the arts with yeah. different people and outsiders. And nothing, nothing sums that up better than Ed Wood uh-huh. from 1994. <laughs> uh, I love Ed Wood to death. I think it's Johnny Depp's best performance. Again, another problematic individual, but mm-hmm. I keep saying that a lot in this podcast. Tim Burton probably needs a different group of <laughs> friends, maybe. No, I think he has, I think he found his people and, and a lot of the great directors do that. They find their tribe mm-hmm. and they, they create vehicles that will shine, help those people shine. And Johnny Depp and Tim Burton have a similar relationship like that Robert De Niro and Martin Scorsese kind of share, which is like they f- an actor and director it's that like pair David up. Lynch and Kyle yes, mm-hmm. yeah, it's just another example. Mm-hmm. They're just in simpatico. Yeah, spoiler. This is my number one as well, Edward. <laughs> spoiler, it's not spoiler. my number one. No, I, no, but I think you share the same name again as as one of those. That's yeah. my guess on that. <laughs> Ed. Um, you know, there's a thing with Tim Burton and Ed. Um, but I, I I absolutely love it. It's in black and white. It's one of the few films that Tim Burton made without. Danny Elfman, Howard Shore actually, produced, you know, composed the soundtrack, but uh, they draw a lot from Ed Wood's previous films. Ed yeah. Wood was like considered the worst filmmaker of all oh, time. Yeah. We've covered him on Plan Nine for yeah. Outer Space podcast. Which, a lot of that movie is it's in about this, the making of it, that movie. Yeah, yeah, the second half of the movie is basically the making of Plan Nine. Right. Uh, Just the depiction of Ed Wood is this, just, just, just optimistic, you know. Like nothing could sway him from being a director. Like he's that—that's exactly what he's going to be, no matter how incompetent he is. I always consider Ed Wood the most incompetent filmmaker, not the worst, because the worst to me is somebody who's boring and soulless. Yeah. 
Ed Wood has a soul for sure, and he has a personality. He has and, a lot of gumption and a lot of spirit, you know, and I think that's why people like him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and he, he, yeah, he just didn't have Pete. He's kind of like Steve Urkel. <laughs> right? I mean, oh, no, don't put that vision. <laughs> no, but what I mean is I think people like that character. Like, at first, that character was totally annoying, and he was not supposed to be, like, the star of the show. But people love, appreciate his stupidity or his, mm-hmm. his, his commitment to himself. Yeah. And I think the same can be said for Ed Wood, whereas a lot of people would look at him like the real film aficionados would probably say he was the worst director, he was an idiot, he was right. But but I think the greater human, you know, the greater side of people would say, you know what? But he had a lot of heart and a lot of spirit, and he cared about what he did. May not have been great, but he went after that dream where so many of us don't. And he had a great relationship with Bella Lugosi in the movie, played by Martin Landau, brilliantly, I might oh, add. Oh, yeah, he won the Oscar, uh, Academy yeah, Award, didn't yeah. This movie is there's it's touching, but it's also extraordinarily funny too. There's so many scenes that I legitimately love in this movie. It has a great script. Um, it's an oddball biopic, but I I would still rank it as one of my all time favorite movies. I I love this movie to death. I can't say enough good about it. Uh, so that's my number one would be Ed Wood. No, and I I concur. I think it's great. Um, I you know it, it is interesting. It doesn't have the Danny Elfman score, but but it uses a lot of the old uh, Ed Wood scores, and yeah. that just makes it even better. And um, Johnny Depp is great, and it has Bill Murray in it. And uh, the girl who plays Vampiro was great too. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Lisa Marie, I think, was her name. Yeah, he dated her for a while. Um, so she, yeah, she was also in Mars Attacks as the uh, female uh, yeah. alien that comes down and seduces oh. all of, like, oh, yeah, Martin so Short. Yeah, so he's. Uh, yeah, this is a great movie, and it's. Uh, I love it. It's it's funny. It's meaningful. Um, it it's well directed. Got a great script. Yeah, it kind of hones into I think Tim Burton's overall general theme, and most of his movie is about the outsider mm-hmm. and creativity, and, and yeah. yeah. In the fine line, like there's the, one of the best scenes in Ed Wood is when Ed Wood meets Orson Welles in this bar, and yeah. Vincent D'Onofrio yeah. plays yeah. Orson. It doesn't Welles. do the voice. No, it's uh, it's the guy that does Pinky in the Brain does the voice of Orson. Really? The guy who does um. And the story of the world because it sounds like Orson Welles. You know, Vincent D'Onofrio was always upset he didn't get he didn't get the voice down to do it. So he did some other where he plays Orson Welles in some other videos where he proves that he can do the voice. I guess it was like you, I can do Orson Welles' voice. How <laughs> dare you <laughs> stop me? But the guy that does Pinky in the Brain is right. brilliant, brilliant. Uh, I mean, he, I remember that cartoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah and that, that's a Orson Welles impersonation. So. One of the reasons that scene is so effective is because this is one figure who's considered the greatest right filmmaker of all time and one who's considered the worst. And there's a thin line between the two of them. And there's probably a lot more commonality between them yeah, than not. And the way they talk about their it's different about projects. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's the only difference. So that would be our number one. Uh, Tony, I have a feeling I know what your number one is, but I'll let you uh, introduce it to the audience. Yes, my number one, no shock here, is Edward Scissorhands. Yeah. You know, I mean, we did a whole podcast on this, so, and I touched even on the movie a little bit earlier in this podcast, but it's just, you know, maybe it was because it was the first thing I'd ever seen by Tim Burton that for me it's just definitive. Um, and there is there is a beauty about the firsts, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you never forget the first song you hear by a certain artist, and it's usually always your favorite, or the first movie you see by a director, um, um and so I think for many reasons I, I love it for that. But I just think it's a timeless story. It is a fairy tale 
And at the end of the day, I think we all love fairy tales. Mm-hmm. You know, the, but the great thing about this is it doesn't have the traditional classic ending like you would think. It has the real-life ending, what would probably really have happened. But it's just a story about love, friendship, kindness, humanity, an outsider trying to find his way. Um, and again, kind of like Big Fish, the impact that you have on people's lives. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Edward was only a part of the town for, I don't know, maybe a couple months. Because I think that when they first meet him, it's like spring, and then in the very end, it's like Christmas. So maybe like six months, but you know the the impact, the lasting impact that he has, and how he did touch people's hearts mm-hmm. and lives, and how you know Winona Ryder's character, as she's old and talking to her great grandchild, she's still telling the story. Yeah, you know, and it's just there's a sweetness to it, and and Johnny Depp's interpretation of the Edward character, I think, is so endearing. It's like a puppy dog. You know, he kind of has, like, those big doe eyes. Yeah. It's like, how could you not bring him home? Even though he looks like a killer. You know, he's got these Freddy Krueger hands, but there's a gentleness about him. Yeah, and they they do a great job of... Mm -hmm. They don't think he's weird. They think he's weird for a moment, and then they move on. Mm -hmm. You know, especially that family. And then Uh, it's only when he gets kind of... Yeah, it's just a... I think there are so many great lessons about humanity in this movie. About how society judges people and and how they're wrong, and about giving people chances, and being kind, and, and um, I don't know, it, it's just, a, in this, Edward Scissorhands, Tim Burton to this day, has said that this was his most personal project. He had created the character of Edward when he was a kid, and never really knew what to do with it, and then I think her name is Denise Denovi, helped him write the script, and so I think that's another reason why I love it too. I feel like this is a glimpse in Tim Burton's heart, Mm-hmm. You know, I think there's something really special about that. It is the most personal film he's ever made. I think there are elements also in Ed Wood, obviously, is identifying with a filmmaker that's out of the mainstream a little bit. And I, I think that's what I like. But, but certainly, if you look at Edward Scissorhands, his, his hair resembles somebody else mm-hmm. very closely. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Depp gives a remarkably great performance. Oh, Just wonderful. like, yeah. yeah. I can't think of two radically different. They're both odd. They're both outsiders. Mm-hmm. But I can't think of two more radically different characters than Ed Wood and Edward Scissorhands. They share the same name, but yeah. they're his two best performances of ever. Not yeah. just in Tim Burton movies, but ever. Um, I mean, the scene when, when he accidentally pokes a hole in the waterbed and then covers it up with the animal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's just so childlike. You know, it's just, how can you not love him? I, I, I just, it's just so sweet. I just love this movie. And, and I love to watch it a lot in the wintertime when it's snowing outside and mm-hmm. it's stuck inside or... Or even if I kind of feel a little bit sad, I like to put this movie on because it's just a reminder that, you know, it's everybody has it hard. And, and there's so much more in life that's, that's beautiful than whatever problem you might be dealing with at the time. The other, the other uh, aspect of it, there's, there's a couple other things um, I want to mention. Number one, it's a silent film performance in a way from Johnny Depp. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, adding to, to the, personal, you know, the personal nature of this project... Yeah. That Vincent Price plays the creator of Edward Scissorhands, yes. which he was the biggest inspiration for Tim Burton, who was a lonely kid, and I Absolutely. think Tim, that was his hero. That was really something special too, with yeah, with Vincent Price being the creator, and this was his last film. He died shortly after it. Mm-hmm. There are some really sweet photos if you Google, you know, like making of Edward Scissorhands or whatever of, of the three of them: mm-hmm. Johnny Depp, Tim Burton, and Vincent Price. And, yeah, there was a lot of love in this project. Yeah, and you could see that. You could feel that it comes. 
it radiates from the screen. It really yeah. does. And I think it's really representative of a lot of what Tim Burton felt growing up. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he talks about how he lived in that suburbia and Burbank and cookie cutter homes. And yeah. So really it's kind of like an, an intimate portrait, I feel like, in a lot of ways into his heart or what he felt like he was... It's obviously not a direct interpretation of mm -hmm. what he went through, but... but um, I love that, you know, I love, one of the things I, you know, when I, we talk about John Waters, I love how a lot of his films or stories are in Baltimore. That's a piece of him, you know, he, yeah. and I love that, and I feel like that's, that's definitely what Tim Burton did here. Oh, they're, they're both cut from the same cloth in a lot of ways. Um, another parallel I love with Vincent Price is that, and Ed Wood, Ed Wood's relationship with Bella Lugosi paralleled Vincent, Vincent Price's relationship with Tim Burton. Yeah like the mentor, the hero coming back into your, your life and you become friends with him and you help him out in a way. Uh -huh. um, Vincent Price is an underrated icon these days, yeah. although I think he's still strong in the public consciousness because, you know, Bill Hader impersonated so him you, on. You know how much I love that. Yeah. Those are the best. If you guys have never seen him on SNL, the Vincent Price holiday special. Yes. <laughs> They're so, so funny. Vincent Price was one of a kind. Uh, the fact that Vincent Price, at, at, at his level... Would lend his talents to Tim Burton showed how much he appreciated talent when it came to, the, to his doorstep. You know that he was willing to put himself out there to help other people, and that's that's an aspect of Vincent Price that I really appreciate. So, yeah. no, I love Vincent yeah, Price. He's he's and, a great guy too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was. And I mean, this movie, I think the casting was just perfect. Alan Arkin's wonderful. Diane Weist as the mom. Yeah. I just love her. Of course, you know I love Winona. Yeah. Diane yeah. <laughs> was just brilliant. Yeah. And also the other thing too that you see on this screen is in real life. Johnny Depp and Monona Ryder were falling in love, and mm -hmm. you see that. And so there's just so much truth, I think, in this movie, and it just that those things, those real life things that were kind of woven into the film, whether it be intentional or not, mm -hmm. make it really special. I, I think we mentioned the parents, but Alan Arkin is fantastic, mm -hmm. extremely yeah. funny, and um, I, th I forget. And Diane Weiss. Uh, Diane Weiss, yeah. I, I mean, it's just so sweet. Like, I love the scene when they're, when he's on the talk show, mm -hmm. and, and they said, well, what would it be like if he didn't have scissors for hands? Would he be a special? And she looks at him and says, he would always be special. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just so touching, just that love, that, that maternal love that she gives to him which is such a gift it has some great satirical elements that remind me of Pee Wee's Big Adventure in a way like when it gets into the, the satirizing sub the suburbs and how people react because what I love about the movie and we mentioned on the podcast previously is that um, you know everybody accepts Edward initially no matter what he looked like yeah. they all liked him which is odd it's not until other people started when he wasn't doing what they wanted him to do and that might be another thing with Burton. It's like, oh, you're trying to the, put put me in a pigeonhole to utilize me when I'm ready. Yeah. Um, the only reason it didn't make my list is I guess it's just I it probably would have been number six. It probably would have gone to number five. But I think Big Eyes is not a movie that's discussed as much, so I I, I moved it out a little bit. But I mean, there's about seven or eight movies from Tim Burton that I really like. So they're all kind of. I mean, this was a hard list. Yeah, it, I mean, it's a better movie than Mars Attacks. There's no doubt about it. But I wanted to talk about Mars Attacks. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, no, I mean, you guys are totally justified in your life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This movie, I just think it's so special. It's it's really unique. Um, and for me, you know, I, I, you know as, as I was saying, it was the first Tim Burton movie I saw, so I'd always kind of had oh, a special yeah. place in my heart, I think, in many ways because of that. Mm -hmm. and, and I was so impressionable at that age, and I was learning what movies were, and uh, I watched a lot of music videos. And that was the other thing, too, that I loved so much about this movie is the score. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's it's really evoking, and uh, it ca 
captures that feeling, I think, of the movie in so many ways, that the hope, the wonder, the sadness, the mm-hmm. fairy tale quality. It's I don't know, it just makes you feel good. You know, and then I, and then at the end when when a writer says, you know, sometimes, you know, when I dance outside I can feel mm-hmm. the snow, whatever that line is. What does she say? I can still feel in there. Yeah, yeah it's I so forget. Sweet. It's just really sweet. It's it's that people never leave us kind of feeling. Yeah. yeah. I always thought her makeup was odd in that last scene. Yeah. But <laughs> well, it was 1990s. It was. The makeup was not as sophisticated then. Um, but yeah, that's a, I think we all have a great list for uh, yes. Tim Burton movies. Um, uh, on Facebook, I'm going to be posting a lot of things that are maybe outside of the film, such as Vincent. I hope to post yeah. that. But I've posted... We'll post Batman fashion. Yes, yeah. Batman fashion. Um, I actually have a... Um, Posted an episode that Tim Burton directed between Pee Wee's Big Adventure and Beetlejuice of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. It was Yay! revived in the 80s called oh, The wow. Jar. So if you're interested in early Tim Burton, I have it on already. Yeah. Watch that. It's very wow. fascinating. It stars Griffin Dunn and Lorraine Newman, who we mentioned oh, earlier. Wow. So it has a really fun cast. Um, and other things. We'll be posting maybe some early Burton work and stuff that we find accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, but outside of that, do you guys have anything to plug? Just, just the Nest Theater. You can see Sean and I there time and time as the Wheeler Brothers and uh, just random stuff I'm doing there. So That's pretty much all I have as yeah, well. Yeah, you yeah. Know? yeah I, nothing to really plug. Yeah. What we do have to plug is the podcast. It's, it's a, we all love this. Uh, so if you're listening to it, we're going to tell you to We're going to tell you to listen to it again. <laughs> you guys, give us five uh, stars. This, this, is, <laughs> this is an episode that's exactly... Uh, sums up exactly why I love the podcast, which is people getting together and discussing different aspects of an artist that means a lot to us. And I like that we had a lot of variety and stuff. Yeah. So this was a really fun one to record with you guys. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, like I said, we're going to post a lot of Burton-related material. and uh, Yeah, be, be vocal, guys. Share, share your thoughts. <laughs> yeah. We'd love to hear what made your list and if you feel differently or the same as some of our comments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you think Michael Keaton looks great in a black turtleneck, right. let me know. Stir up a debate and get us to fight you. <laughs> yes, there you go. Sean's very big into the Facebook polls. Yeah, he wants to oh, yeah, him. I am. Uh, Facebook polls are my, my, my neurotic obsession right now. So <laughs> it has been for a year. <laughs> so oddly, we don't do enough on Cinema Wheeler Tay. I probably should do more polls. Tay. So, uh, well, that's. Big eyes or big fish? Big, there you go. Which big do you prefer? Uh, quote unquote. Well, that can be interpreted <laughs> in so many different ways. Oh, big, big. Um, but anyway, uh, continue to f- uh, follow us on uh, Facebook and Twitter. Uh, we don't have an Instagram account. I um, don't know how we would even do that on it. Well, I could make one, and we could just post photos of you know film photos. Yeah. Sure, we could probably do that. And and also just like us, uh, rate us, interact with us, and continue to listen to us. That's the most important of all. Yeah, yeah and if you're ever interested in being a guest, we love getting you know new blood on the the podcast so don't be afraid to message us on facebook probably the best way to get us mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. that's perfect yeah thank you very much and uh, we'll see you next time bye bye ah mr wells is it all worth it it is when it works you know, the one film of mine where I had total control, Kane. The studio hated it, but they didn't get to touch a frame. Ed, 
Visions are worth fighting for. Why spend your life making someone else's dreams? Before he came down here, it never snowed. And afterwards, it did. If you weren't up there now, finally pulled the driver's body from the twisted, burning wreck. It looked like this. 